Good morning, church family. Welcome to Desert Hills Baptist Church in our early morning service. Thank you for braving the rain, all right? Uh, I have found that rain in Arizona is like snow in the Midwest. Uh, church people look out and they think, can I make it? Am I going to die? <laughs> and, uh, and then we go out and we brave just like you all did this morning and we make it to church. And I'm glad that you're here today. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 14 today. And we're, we're going to begin a new series within the overall theme of our year here today entitled, God Can Lead Us to Financial Health. And we're going to find ourselves in Luke chapter 14 and verse 25. We're going to go through the text here in a little bit, and we'll kind of build off of the text in the beginning of the message and give you some of a topical message at the backside of the message. But I believe if we all tune in today, the message is going to be a help to us all. So Luke chapter 14 and verse 25 and uh, I believe specifically that God can lead us to financial health. And specifically, this message is going to deal with today the subject of planning and budgeting. And let me say this, if you are single and struggling, this message is for you. If you are married for 50 years and are enjoying your twilight years, this message is for you. If you think you have your financial house in order, this message is for you. I don't know if you realize this or not, but 15% of all that Jesus spoke about had to deal with money, wealth, and possessions. Now, it was important to Jesus, it should be important to us, and I believe that Jesus wanted his followers to have financial health. Now, one of the top three reasons for marital conflict besides, number one reason, unmet expectations, and then secondly, parental conflicts because of disciplining of children, and uh, put, put into that mix with the disciplining of children, having blended families and, and different parenting styles and things like that, you can understand why that would be number two, but the third leading cause of marital conflict is inability to manage finances. And I don't know if you understand this, but 22% of all divorces happen because a couple cannot get on the same page in regards to finances. So here's what I want you to do this morning. If you are married, you're in a relationship, I want you to, to, to make a solemn promise to me this morning and more importantly to God. I want you to make a solemn promise that you're not going to look at your spouse, you're not going to look at your mate as you're listening to this message, tugging on their shirt or their pant leg or their dress and saying, are you hearing what the pastor is saying this morning? Make a solemn promise to God and to one another that you're going to take these principles and you're going to try to get on the same page, working towards financial health. Why? Because 64% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Think about that. 
of Americans. Now, you might think that that's an issue only for those that have lower incomes, but it can happen to people at any income level. In fact, studies reveal that 48% of those making in excess of $100,000 a year live paycheck to paycheck. So, this message is for us. This message is for our children. This message is for our grandchildren. God wants to lead us to a place of financial health. So how does one get to a place of financial health? What do we need to do? What do we need to know to get to a place where we have financial well-being? Now, as we look at our text found in the book of Luke this morning, we see Jesus challenging his followers in the area of discipleship. Now, masses of people began to follow him because of the miracles that he did, because he was uh, becoming popular. And, and so some of Jesus' followers were following him for the wrong reasons. And so it was time for Jesus to, to call the crowd, if you will, and determine who really meant business. So he gives this teaching in Luke chapter 14, and he says, or the Bible says, and there went out great multitudes with him, and he turned. And said unto them. In the Greek language, it's interesting. He, he makes a point to, to look them in the eyes. He turns and he says to them, If any man come after me and hate not his father and his mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever not, shall not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus isn't telling us that in order to be a Christian, we need to explicitly hate our families. But what he is saying, knowing the crowd, knowing who was following him, he was saying this, if you're going to follow me, it's going to cost something. If you're going to follow me, it's going to cost something, and it better mean something. Now, to reiterate his words again, notice verse 27, and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, salvation is free, but let me under, help you understand something. Salvation is not cheap. Did you get that? Salvation is free, but salvation is not cheap. In order for you and I to be saved, it took the death of God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. It took Jesus to come to earth, to live as a man, to, 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 to think like a man, to, to dine like a man, to be abused like a man, to, to go through all of that for us. In fact, the Bible says, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You see, salvation, again, is free, but it's not cheap. Now, if someone is truly a disciple, they will follow Jesus with their lives. Salvation always changes those who possess it. It never leaves them the same. And the point Jesus is making is if you are saved, you will take up your cross 
and you will come after me. And then he goes on to make his point by further saying, for which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? So he's saying that in this thing of the call to discipleship, you're going to weigh the call. You're going to think, is this for me? Am I willing to let this cost me? Am I willing to follow after him and leave everything else if it so comes to that? Then he goes on to say, less happily, after I have laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. And then he furthers the point here in verse 31. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able to with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Now again, the primary application in the context is that followers of Jesus will make Jesus a priority in their lives. He should come first. We should approach our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, understanding that everything should revolve around him, not he and our Christianity revolving around everything else. In essence, Jesus gives his disciples a mission statement. And that mission statement says something like this. If you're going to follow me, understand what it means by making me and my teachings and my church a priority. And how can we prioritize Jesus in our lives if Jesus isn't a priority in our finances? Not only does Jesus deserve to be prioritized in our finances, but when he is prioritized, we can experience financial health. Now, so this morning, as we start our message dealing with the opportunity that can lead us to financial health, I want to encourage you, first of all, point number one, to establish your priorities. Establish your priorities. Ask yourself, as you think about your life, as you think about your Christianity, as you think about your family, as you think about your finances, what is most important to me. Now, in our text, Jesus made it clear that he should be important to every one of us. His mission statement, again, in a sense is, if you're going to follow me, understand what it means by making me and my teachings and my church, making Jesus a priority. Now, Jesus in Luke 14 gives his mission statement. What is your mission statement in regards to your financial health? Now, a mission statement goes something like this. Our church's mission statement is to make disciples who glorify God and impact their world. So everything we do revolves around that. We ask ourselves, if we're going to start a ministry, does this ministry accomplish making disciples who glorify God and impact their world? If we're going to do something for the youth, we ask ourselves, does this, this activity help us make disciples who glorify God and impact their world. Everything filters through that lens. And that's why we exist. 
And so that's why we have Celebrate Recovery. That's why we have Grief Share. That's why we have uh, Student Ministries. That's why we have Hills Kids. That's why we do what we do. Why? Because we're making disciples who glorify God and impact their world. That's our mission statement. So, with what you know concerning what the Bible says about financial health, what are you trying to accomplish with your finances What is your mission statement? That's my first point. Under-establish your priorities. Write out a mission statement. Write out a mission statement. Think about what is important to you, what you're trying to accomplish, where you want to go. Write it out and try to live by it. I'll give you just an example of one. I want to put the Lord first in all things, including my finances, use them to care for my family, care for our future, and to help others. That's a simple one. That's a basic one. I think most of us could probably adopt that as our own. Now, Jesus's mission statement can be found in verse 26 and 27 of our text. If any man come after me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brethren and his sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 33, so likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. Or as I summed up earlier, if you're going to follow me, understand what it means by making me and my teachings and my church a priority. Now, why we do what we do is almost as important as what we do. Motives do matter. And when we write out a mission statement, it helps us to establish our motive. Secondly, put God first. Now, our text bears out that we need to put Jesus first in everything. We need to put Jesus first in everything. Again, if any man come after me and hate not his father and mother and wife, etc., and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, some questions to ask this morning. Is God a part of your conversation in regards to financial health? Now, you may be at a place where you're wanting financial health. You may be at a place where you're desiring financial health as a couple, and it seems like you can't get there, and it seems like you're both frustrated at one another at times. Is God a part of your conversation? Secondly, are you seeking to use your finances in accordance with scriptural truths? Now, the Bible has a lot to say about how we use our finances. And then thirdly, are you seeking to make sure that God is a priority in your finances? Now, here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. He said, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor your body, what you shall put on, is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment. Now, when you see the word raiment in the Bible, it not only has to do with the clothes that we wear, but it has to do with anything that would cover over our head. That would include where we live. So here's what the Bible says. Is not the life more more than those things? It says, Behold, the fowls of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. 
Are you not met much better than they? And then it talks about how tall we are and why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field. And wherefore, if God so clothes the grass, verse 30, don't you think that he's going to take care of you? Oh, you of little faith, verse 31. Therefore, take no thought, saying what we shall eat or what we shall drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. And then it says... But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, Jesus is not telling his followers not to plan. He's not telling them to starve or not to have anything in the way of possessions. In fact, that's not at all what he's telling them. But what he is telling his followers is that God wants to care for them as much as they want to be taken care of. And he'll do so as they put them first. In other words, don't trust your abilities. Don't trust and worry about things that you cannot control. Seek me first, trust in me, and I will take care of you. Now, Paul put it this way as he was writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He said, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded. Sometimes when people have things, they get a little high-minded. They think, well, I have all this. Look at what I have done. He says, trust them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. And if you haven't realized this yet, riches are very uncertain. You can have it, and like that, it can be gone away. Every one of us who've lived any length of time have been there. You have it, and then it's gone away. So don't trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God, who giveth us all things richly to enjoy. God gives us things. God blesses us with things. He gives us those things to enjoy. It's not wrong to have nice things, but it is wrong for nice things to have us. And then it goes on to say this, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, that they be ready to distribute, willing to communicate, be ready to give, be willing to be generous. In other words, put God first, trust in Him to provide for you. Now, one of the ways people have historically done this in years past, Christians, Bible believers, people of God, They've done this by tithing of their income. Now, the tithe, the tenth, was a universal principle that manifested itself not only in biblical culture, but even in cultures that weren't biblical. This principle biblically existed before the law. Abraham tithed of all that he had, and we recognize it was a part of the law. And we understand that as Christians today, we do not live under the law. But it's a good starting place to put God first to make Jesus a priority in your finances. Now, these tithes during the Bible times allowed for the temple worship to take place by providing furnishings, sacrifices, care of the priests, the necessities for daily worship and yearly feasts. And today, they're used to care for the needs of the church. Now, here is a universal principle found in the book of Proverbs that we should all take heart to. Proverbs 3, 6, or verse 9, I'm sorry, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst with new wine. 
mind. Now, as we give to the Lord, we're acknowledging, first of all, that it all belongs to him in the first place. He is the provider of all things, and by giving an offering regularly to God, we are growing in our faith, growing more dependent on God who wants to continue to provide for our needs. Now, I want to encourage you to make the Lord a priority always, and he will ultimately bless your faith. Now, as a church, we are grateful for everyone who consistently gives to the Lord through his church. It keeps the bills paid. It keeps the lights on. It keeps the mortgage paid. It keeps people being ministered to. It keeps salaries coming in. Now, make the Lord a priority in your finances. If you've stopped, start again. If you've never done so, start and allow yourself to grow in your faith. Now, as a Christian, the greatest price has been paid for our salvation. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave. That's what God did. Because he loved, he gave. And it's interesting that according to studies, the most important reasons Christians give, the most important reason Christian gives, give, uh, Christians give today is because of their identity, because of who they are as Christians. In fact, Here's a statistic here. The Barner Research uh, Group did a statistic, and they wanted to find out why people give. And I think like 6% gave because they were asked to, and another percentage gave because uh, they were told to, and, and a very small percentage, but a large percentage of the Christian, 77% of Christians gave because they were a Christian. Said, I am a Christian. God gave to me, and because he gave to me, I'm going to give back to him, 77% of people who profess faith, give because of that. And I believe that's what Jesus is speaking about in our text. Discipleship, commitment. If you're going to come after me, bear your cross, come after me, and be my disciple. Thirdly, as we look at our priorities, take care of essential needs as a priority. Now, these essential needs are the Lord, a place to live. You need utilities in that, that place you live. You need food. These things are absolutely essential. So let me ask you a question this morning. So what are some essential needs? I need some help from the crowd this morning. What are some essential needs? Food. Shelter. Anything else? Water. Yes. Clothing. Yes. We want clothes, amen, <laughs> especially coming to church. Car, you need something to drive around in or a bike or something, some way to get around. You don't want to ride a bike in the summer if you can help it. Amen. <laughs> Utilities. Yes, you need AC. You live in Arizona, you need AC. Amen. Swamp cooler would do in Arizona. Swamp cooler wouldn't do in Florida. All right. <laughs> Anything else? That is an essential, brother. <laughs> that is an essential. It doesn't have to be a mocha latte, but it has to be something, right? Coffee, I think that's an essential. Now, here's a principle that goes along with this. Proverbs chapter 27, Solomon writes, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks, and look well to thy herds. For riches are not forever, and doth the crown endure to every generation. The hay appeareth, and the tender grass showeth itself, and the herbs of the mountains are gathered. The lambs are for thy clothing, and the goats are for the price of the field. And thou shalt have goats milk enough for thy food, for the food of thy household, and for the maintenance uh, for thy maiden. So here's uh, the Solomon writing about a guy that's planning 
and looking at what he needs to have to make his, his farm continue on. What is essential? What does he need to have? He needs to have some clothing. He needs to have some livestock so he can have some milk. He needs to have uh, uh, some meat. He needs to be able to sell this livestock so he can have some more land and grow some more crops and so on. He's he's, uh, thinking of his essential needs as a priority. Number four, I want to encourage you to give a percentage, save a percentage, and spend on the rest. Again, we're talking about priorities. Give a percentage. Giving back to God, again, acknowledges on the behalf of the giver that everything has come from God in the first place. That's why people have historically tithed. Here, again, Timothy says this in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in riches, but in the living God who giveth us all things richly to enjoy, that they do good and be rich in good works and ready to distribute, ready to communicate, willing to communicate. In other words, make a priority to keep God first in your giving. And then it says in verse 19, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. Now, this part of the verse is talking about two things. First of all, giving so we're all investing in eternity. And secondly, saving so that we're prepared for when hard times come. I gave that statistic just a moment ago. 64% of Americans are living from paycheck to paycheck. 48% of Americans that make over $100,000 are living paycheck to paycheck. There's nothing wrong with saving. There's nothing wrong with giving. There's nothing wrong with, with paying the Lord, paying yourself in savings, and then spending and budgeting on the rest. Here's what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs. It says in 22, verse 3, it says, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. In other words, somebody that's wise is going to say, Okay, how can I prepare for an uncertain future? What do I need to do to have some funds in case everything goes to pot? How do I need to prepare my family? How do I need to prepare myself? The prudent man, the wise man, thinks about that, and he is prepared. So have an emergency fund. Be prepared for bad circumstances that can come. Start with whatever amount you can, $600, $1,000. Work your way up to $5,000 and then $10,000. And then if you can, get three to six months of expenses uh, that you budget on as an emergency fund and then start saving beyond that. Be prepared for an uncertain future. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. Establish your priorities. Secondly, Separate your needs from your wants. Now, God promises to supply all of our needs, not all of our wants, not all of our greeds, but he promises to supply all of our needs. In fact, here's what Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 says. It says, but my God shall supply all your needs. Again, underlined, bold, needs according to his riches and glory. I love what the psalmist said. He said, I have been young and I have been old, but I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Now, God promises to take care of his children, but as we're determining our priorities, we have to separate our needs from our wants. Now, think about this. We live in a different day, a different era. 
Now, I would have never imagined that the television would be to the place where you could have 14 or 15 different apps that are tied to your main subscription to your television, each being between 3 to 7 to $10 a piece. So you have to ask yourself, is ESPN+, Plus, Hulu, Netflix, Prime, Epix, HBO Max, Disney, AMC+, Plus, YouTube+, Plus, Peacock, Paramount, Paramount+, Plus, do I need all of them? Do I need them? Now, you may want the latest iPhone every time it comes out. Pagan. I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, people make fun of me because I use uh, an Android phone. But you know what? It never breaks. <laughs> it never breaks. If I were to do that to an iPhone, I'd be sorry. I mean, I drop it all the time. It gets thrown. You know, it just falls. Nothing ever happens to it. But do we really need the latest iPhone every year? Do we really need a new car every year? Do we really need to get two Starbucks drinks, one in the morning, one on the way home, and two warm cream cheese danishes every day? Now, of course, we may be able to afford these things, but you have to ask yourself, is this item a want or a need? Need should have priority over wants. Now, an easy way to determine your priorities concerning your finances is to print your last two bank statements and go line by line through every one of them. And let me just say this, the checkbook never lies. It never lies, or at least I should say the bank statement. Some of you young people don't know what a checkbook is. <laughs> Number three, make a plan. Make a plan. First, ask yourself, how can I accomplish my priorities? How can I honor the Lord in my giving? How can I pay my mortgage? How can I pay my utilities? How can I pay my vehicles and the insurances? How can I fund my retirement when I turn 60 or 70 or 75? Or by the way, it's going right now. It's going to be 80 for some of us. Social Security, I don't know if it's going to exist in the next 20 years. So be prepared. Be prepared. Remember Jesus' word, for which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient enough to finish it? Secondly, then determine what type of plan or system you're going to use to accomplish your goals. When my wife and I were first married, we used the envelope system. Dave Ramsey, you're going to use that? That's great. We use the, what we would do, this is back in the day, so we would get our check cashed, we would divvy up the money and put it into envelopes. If the mortgage or the rent was whatever at the end of the month, we would divide that into four a month, and then we put it in the envelope. And then when it came time to make the, the payment on that bill, we would then go get a money order, and then we would uh, 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 make that payment. And we always had what we needed. This is in the day when our grocery budget was $25 a week. Think about that. I don't know what you can get for $25 a week now. Eggs are $10 uh, for $18 right now. But that's in the day, and we did it. 
We, we made the Lord a priority. We took care of, God took care of us. We always had what we needed. So whatever system you're going to use, determine what you're going to do. Back plan, start at the end, and then back plan on what you need to do to get there. Think about each step that you need to take to get there. Thirdly, write out your budget, listen to this, together. Did you get that? Together. Why do I say that? Because in every, almost every relationship, you have a saver and you have a spender. And in some relationships, you have two spenders. In some relationships, you have two savers. But it's not going to be good if one partner is on board and the other partner is not you're going to continue to have conflict about those things. And what I suggest to you is you, you swallow your pride, you think about the financial health of your family, and you say, okay, what do we need to do to rein everything in and accomplish what we want to accomplish at the end? So write your budget out together. Again, if you're married, you are one flesh, one household, put your bank statements out, Look at your expenses, determine what needs to be there, your priorities, and then make your budget. Remember Jesus' words. If you're going to build a tower, you're going you're to think about the cost. It, it, it is said, a dream without a plan is a wish. You may wish for financial health, but unless you plan and then follow that plan, you'll never get to the place of financial health. So write out the plan together. Now, if you're determined to follow your plan together, you will accomplish your financial goals. In fact, we have a budget here this morning. You can look at this. We have this in an Excel form. We can email it to you. You just email info at deserthills.church. We'll send this to you. And uh, here's a place for all your income. You write that in that area. Here's all your expenses, or you could even other areas where there's expenses that are not listed. You write them down. You write your budget, and then you stick to it. And then next, you revisit the plan once a week or once a month to keep yourself accountable. Now, it's great to make a plan. You can be really excited in making a plan, but unless you're determined to get back to it and stick to it, you don't get what you expect, you get what you inspect. So, determine to follow the plan, and then point number four, determine to work hard to fulfill your plan, not just to provide for your family, but also to glorify God. Now, the Bible is clear. We trust God, but each believer has the opportunity to work to work to provide for his or her family. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter uh, uh, 6, the Bible, we understand Paul was writing to Timothy to deal with some problems, and Timothy was contending with these problems. And so uh, God writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, but if any provide not for his own, specifically for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. It's not somebody else's responsibility to care for your family. It's yours and God's. Here's what happened in the Thessalonian church in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. There were similar problems that had arisen at Thessalonica. So here's what Paul writes to uh, the Thessalonian Christians. For even when we were with you, 
This we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Work! It's not a dirty four-letter word. Before the fall in Genesis 2 and 3, Adam worked in the garden. Work is not a curse, but toil and thorns and hard ground were a part of the curse. Now, work gives us an opportunity to fulfill the will of God and to provide for our families. Work gives us an opportunity to earn so we can take care of our essentials and save for the future. Uh, yes, God chooses sometimes to use other means to take care of us, but most often when I pray to God asking for funding, he's provided work. I remember when I was in college and I was a, um, a full-time student taking about uh, 21 credit hours each semester. And I worked a 40-hour-a-week job and had a pretty good job then. I, I think I was making like $17 an hour from 1990 to about 1993. It's between $17 and $20 an hour. I'd get overtime. I'd get about 10 to 20 hours of overtime every week. And so I was making pretty good money for a college student in that era. I didn't have at any time. I didn't have any life, really. I was just working and going to school and being busy with ministry and so on as I was uh, participating in my local church there. And, and I remember I'd see these guys, they'd go to the mailbox. We all had our mail in the same place, and they'd, they, they, they'd say something like, pulling something out of the mailbox, I prayed, and the check came. And you know what? I prayed all the time, God, take care of my needs. No check ever came. But I'll guarantee you, many times I prayed Somebody would call off their shift, and I had an opportunity to work it. Happened all the time. And I, I got to the point where I don't want to pray that anymore. <laughs> Too many 16-hour shifts. But you know what? That's how God does it oftentimes. God provides for our needs as we work. Now, God blesses us each with skills and abilities, and, and, and we all understand that we have those, but every one of us have the ability to show up, to follow instructions, and to shut up. <laughs> every one of us can do that. Every one of us, as my dad used to say, show up, follow up, and shut up. Every one of us can do that. Now, you may say, well, pastor, I'm a self-made man. I've worked hard, and look at all the things that I've done. You know the Bible says in Deuteronomy, it is he that giveth you power to make wealth. None of us are self-made. God has given us all what we have. Now, work also provides an opportunity for us to bring glory back to God. Now, here's what the Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. If, if somebody in your workplace sees that you're honest, you show up every time you're supposed to show up, you work hard, you don't talk about others, you, you, you have a good attitude as you're there, you know what you're going to be? You're going to be a light to them. They're going to say, something's different about that person. Now, every secular job I've ever worked at lunchtime, people would come to me, I'd sit down, and I'd sometimes read my Bible, read a book or something like that, and they'd come to me and they'd say, what you reading? 
And I'd say, I'm glad you asked. I've noticed something different about you. Well, what's that? You don't, you don't get rattled by circumstances. You don't, you don't get mad. You don't talk about other people. You always are here when you're supposed to be here. And you know what? God can use that in you to glorify him. And then one last point as we think about financial health. Live a life of contentment. The Bible says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. This is Paul speaking to the Philippian Christians. He says, I know how to be a base, and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then here is a verse that has been misused oftentimes when it's quoted. Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You see, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13 is not a verse to use for Christian triumphalism. I can do anything. Well, we can do anything. Our theme this year is God can, and we understand we can do anything through Christ which strengthens us. We understand that. But the primary application about doing all things through Christ is the ability to be content. The only way that we can find contentment The only way we can find contentment with our circumstances, with our situation, with our possessions, the only way we can do that is through Christ who strengthens us. So live a life of contentment. Now, when I was in college, I I saved up uh, in college. I had an opportunity to work a little bit, and I was able to save up uh, several thousand dollars by the time I was done with college working and paying my own school bill. I didn't have any scholarships. That college didn't have scholarships. Uh, it was just you paid for your tuition and you paid for your room and board, and it was what it was. And, and so um, I, I went, paid my tuition, got through college, and, and I had saved some money, and I really wanted to buy a Toyota SR5 extra double cab truck. And so I had saved up, you know, I made my plan, I realized what I needed to do to accomplish that plan, all the while I was uh, putting away for my future, I was investing, I was helping kids, uh, some kids back home to go to Christian school, I was paying my tithes, I was doing all these things, I was making sure God was a priority and everything, but I really wanted a Toyota SR5 double cab truck. And when I would get off of work, I'd get to the area where our our dorm was, our college was, and there was a Toyota dealership literally right down the road. And there on the little turnstile, you know how they put trucks up on the thing that turns, it was turning around, was the Toyota SR5 truck that I wanted. White. It had the the 4x4 package and everything on it. I think back then it was like $26,000. Now, you couldn't buy one today for anything less than maybe $60,000, $65,000 right now. And I wanted it. I had saved more than that to buy the truck. And I didn't know how it worked. I didn't know if I'd go down to the bank and they give me a, a bunch of money. I put it in a briefcase and I walk on down to the dealership. I didn't know if that's how it went. I didn't know. I just know that I had the money in my bank. And if I wanted it, I could get it and I could buy that truck. But I had brochures of that truck in my dorm room. I had brochures of that truck in my car. 
I had uh, this thing of uh, this truck was always on my mind. I kept thinking about this dumb truck all the time. Every time I'd get off of work, I would park the car in front of that dealership for a couple of minutes, and it was really creepy kind of, you know, and I'd look at that truck. And finally, the Lord smote my heart. And he said, you know what? You could buy that truck. But if you had that truck, that truck would have you. So I was like, stink! (laughs) I had an offer to go work a, a job as a youth pastor and outreach pastor in Florida. And I had that money in the bank. And I needed a new car because my car was having problems. And I said, okay, I'm not going to buy the truck. I may need the money that's in the bank when I make a transition because I was making over $30,000 a year, circa 1990 or whatever, doing what I was doing just at a job. And I was going to make $10,000 a year as a youth pastor. And so I said, I'll keep the money in the bank. And you know what? I'm glad I kept the money in the bank. Because over that first two years, I needed every bit of that money I had in the bank. I bought a car. I think I bought a car for for $8,000 or something like that, used. Got rid of my car and and went on with life and got married a year later or so and and carried on with my life. And I, I said, you know what? In that moment, I'm not going to allow things to consume me anymore. And really, I want to encourage you, everything that you have in your life, hold with a very loose grip. Because as the Bible says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, God wants to lead us to financial health. But it won't happen unless we set uh, some priorities. And then make a plan and then work hard and then live a life of contentment. So what are you going to do with this information this morning? Now, my prayer is that God will lead us all to financial health. Now, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, more important than your financial health is your spiritual eternity. And my encouragement is to find one of the pastors that will be up here at the end of the service, after the service dismisses, and talk with them about knowing for sure how you can spend eternity in heaven. Thank you for joining us this morning. Let's all pray, and as I pray, I want to I ask you to pray that God would guide you to financial health in your home. Let's pray.